Hello everyone, this is Steve Humble with another Perspective. The time has come once again for us to make final preparations in our hearts, in our homes, and in our households of faith to celebrate the birth of Jesus, God with us. God, born a man, in order to restore true life to humans by reconciling and reconnecting us in himself to God our Creator. hard to believe that it's time for the fourth Sunday of Advent in this year of 2022, but it is, and my meditation for this week is titled God's Sign, Emmanuel Has Come. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, unless otherwise noted. The first reading is from Isaiah 7, verses 10 to 16. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord, your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Since this is an Advent reading, our attention is focused on the sign that Yahweh said he would give. The sign that a virgin would conceive and give birth and call her son Emmanuel, which means God with us. Until recent years, this has seemed to me like an odd scriptural context in which to find this specific promise about Jesus. Even though the promise is applied to him in Matthew 1.23. Although in the larger context, of the story told in the scriptures, a sign did make sense to me. I couldn't understand why it was given in this particular story about Ahaz. More recently, I've begun to see more that Ahaz's place in the bigger story was indeed a meaningful place for God to add this detail of his plan to save his people in creation. Let's look at Ahaz's story. King Ahaz's father, Jotham, a descendant of David, was one of the better kings in Judah, the southern kingdom, though he did fail to eliminate pagan worship among the people. Ahaz, however, was one of the most wicked kings. He was given over to idolatry. He represented the worst of the history of Israel's failure to keep God's covenant and the worst of David's descendants' failure to serve as faithful representatives of God's kingship. Seventeen years into Ahaz's reign, the kings of Syria and Israel, the northern tribe, the kingdom of Jews, invaded Judah and besieged Jerusalem. During that invasion, in spite of Ahaz's wickedness, God graciously sent Isaiah to the king with a word not to fear, because these kings would not prevail. 
and that within a few decades both kingdoms would fall. However, God's word concerning the kings ended with a strong warning to Ahaz. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Isaiah 7, 7-9 is where the word of the Lord, you can read the whole thing for yourself. Since Ahaz was not prone to trust in Yahweh, the Lord had Isaiah command Ahaz to ask for a sign, no matter how difficult it might be. Ahaz flat out refused God's command, not because he was humble, not because he was obedient to the scriptures which say, don't put Yahweh to the test, but because in his unbelief and arrogance, Ahaz totally rejected Yahweh himself and the word from Yahweh's prophet. In fact, soon after this encounter with the prophet, Ahaz foolishly turned for help to the king of Assyria. Ahaz took silver and gold from the temple of Yahweh to use as an inducement to persuade the Assyrian king to help. Moreover, Ahaz worshipped with the Assyrian king at his pagan altar, and Ahaz then had a repep a replica of that altar built and set up in Jerusalem for use in worshiping Assyria's God. Yahweh, however, was not just dealing with Ahaz in this instance. I, as I was working this, meditating on this passage this uh, this week, I noticed that the warning about the attack coming on is on Jerusalem was addressed to the house of David. Isaiah 7.2. And again, God's word of rebuke after Ahaz refused to ask for a sign was also addressed to the house of David. Isaiah 7.13. The long history of unfaithfulness and unbelief by God's people, including many of the Davidic kings beginning with Solomon in his later years, lies behind God's promise that a virgin would bear a son called God is with us. Indeed, the problem goes all the way back to Adam and Eve's unfaithfulness, but so does God's gracious promise because after Adam's fall, God told the serpent that his head would be crushed by a descendant of the woman. Apart from God's merciful love and action, the whole human race is in bondage to sin and death, including Israel and the Davidic kings. Although Israel had been chosen to be the people through whom salvation would come, they not only carried God's calling and promise, but they also carried the human problem, sin, as N.T. Wright has put it. But hallelujah, God is faithful to himself and to his word, no matter how unfaithful we humans are. Thus God announced the wonderful, gracious sign, the promise that he himself would come to redeem his people and to lead us in accomplishing our calling to bring God's blessing to the nations. And so it was. In the fullness of time, as we know, Emmanuel, God is with us, was conceived in the womb of a virgin, and a man from the house of David was born in order to rescue the world. The second lectionary reading this week is Psalm 81 to 7 and 17 to 19. However, this psalm is a powerful prayer, not only for the old covenant people of God for whom the prayer was originally offered, but it's also a powerful and timely prayer for God's new covenant people, the church, of which Jesus said, I am the true vine, 
you are the branches. As I read, I invite you to join me in interceding for God's vine in our day. I'm going to read the whole of the prayer. To the chief musician set to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ibrahim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You have fed with them with the bread of tears and have given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. This prayer seems to refer to an invasion of the tribes of Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. In the divided kingdom, Ephraim and Manasseh were in the northern kingdom, and Benjamin was in the southern Therefore, we can see it as a prayer for the whole nation. Additionally, I note that the prayer is addressed to the shepherd of Israel. Notably, it was Jacob whom God had renamed Israel who first identified Yahweh as shepherd, declaring, God, who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Genesis 48:15. Later, David also declared, Yahweh is my shepherd. Psalm 23.1 Isaiah 40 contains a prophetic announcement of the gospel, promising that God will return to rescue his people from exile and to be their shepherd king, who will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Isaiah 40 verse 11 All of this and more in the scriptures lies behind Jesus' own declaration that he himself was that promised shepherd king who would not only care for the flock, but who would die for their life and salvation. For he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. Not only in Israel of old, but also throughout the history of the church, there have been times when God's people have suffered great affliction times when boars and beasts, that is, enemies without and from within, have wrecked havoc. That seems to be increasingly true of the church here in the United States, as this nation has steadily been rejecting the influence of our Christian heritage. Sadly, even many of those 
who identify themselves as leaders and members of God's church have turned away from the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude said in 1, 3. What's the answer to this ravaging of the church? What's the answer to these efforts to destroy God's vine? It has already been given. The ending is sure. God's right hand, the Son of Man, the virgin son has already come. He triumphed on the cross and he now reigns at the Father's right hand. In the Father's timing, Jesus will return in glory and all enemies will be vanquished. As we watch, wait, and work in the midst of our own generation's enemies, whether we suffer because of external enemies or because of our own weaknesses and failures, we have been given this wonderful prayer. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man whom you've made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call on, on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. O God, help us. O God, heal your vine. Romans 1, 1 to 7 is the third reading. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In this short opening to Paul's letter to the Romans, we find one of the greatest summaries of the gospel that is, the good news promised through the prophets in the scriptures, the Old Testament, the good news about Jesus. Let's listen again to the, some of these statements in a little different wording that are made here in Romans 1. The good news is the news about Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, our Lord. Remember, Lord is the word the Jewish people use instead of pronouncing Yahweh's name. The good news is the news about Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, who is our Lord. Secondly, the good news is the news that Jesus, in reference to his humanity, is the promised descendant of David, the Son who will reign forever. Third, the good news is the news that Jesus, having been resurrected from death, is designated Son of God in power. The way the New English translation puts that, I really like it. There's a hyphen between each of those words. Son of God in power. He is the perfected embodiment of holiness and majesty. And fourthly, the good news is the news that Jesus has sent Holy Spirit-empowered, grace-enabled messengers into all the world to call all people in all nations to believe this news about God's true King and therefore having believed to submit themselves in obedience to him.
What wonderful news. Those who receive this good news become God's beloved people, called and set apart as his own precious possession, as his personal representative on the earth. This was true of God's people Israel under the old covenant, to whom God said through Moses, You shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19.5-6 And now, this is true of God's people, the church, believing Jews and Gentiles together, just as Paul Peter declared, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, New American Standard Bible. This good news about Jesus is summed up again in two words of the blessing which Paul pronounced in this passage. Not only a blessing to the Romans to whom he wrote, but also to all of us who receive the good news and submit to the true king. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is the hope of the gospel. Grace and peace. Final reading for this week is Matthew 1, 18-25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. As we are told in Luke 1, the angel Gabriel came to Mary with the news that she was the young virgin who had been chosen to bear a son to be named Jesus, a name which means Savior, Deliverer, Rescuer. This son, Gabriel said, would be the one to receive the throne of David, the one whose kingdom would have no end. There's much that can be said about Mary's humble believing response. However, our reading tells a story from the experience of Joseph, the man engaged to Mary. Betrothal in that culture was covenantal with legal implications. Upon learning that Mary was pregnant, Joseph was in a dilemma. He had grounds to break off from Mary publicly, declaring the betrothal covenant null and void, thereby announcing to everyone that he had been betrayed. According to the law of Moses, 
Joseph might even have sought to have Mary stoned to death because of unfaithfulness. Instead, Joseph was considering putting her away privately, thereby in some measure protecting Mary even in his great disappointment. Then an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, assuring that Mary had not been unfaithful to him. Rather, God had chosen her to be the promised virgin who, having conceived a child by the Holy Spirit, would give birth to a son to be called God with us. In Mary, the sign promised to the house of David through Isaiah was being fulfilled. The child Mary was carrying was the promised one given to save God's people from their sins. Giving no heed to what people might think, Joseph obeyed immediately, taking Mary as his wife and living with her chastely, waiting for the birth of her firstborn son. Then, as commanded, Joseph named the child Jesus. Thank you for joining me in these meditations this year. I pray that they have served you by encouraging you to prepare your heart through repentance and refocusing, if needed, so that we remember and celebrate Jesus's, Jesus our King as fully as he deserves. He was born and to live and die so that we could be made alive and live in him. May we join in singing the songs of the heavens, not just the carols we sing at Christmas. But let's keep in mind also the end of the story. Here's a couple of songs from Revelation. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And then that great pray, prayer of praise. Song of praise from Revelation 15, 3 and 4. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. May your Christmas celebration be blessed with awareness of the divine presence who is among us.